And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive. I am your host, as always, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I'd like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to the show today. And we have a very, very exciting show for you today. As we're going to be taking a look, we're taking a look at 2004's Godzilla Final Wars. And I do mean we in a very real and literal sense, as I am joined by a guest, my very good friend, Mr. Adam Tebow. Say hello, Adam. Uh, hello, Adam. <laughs> How you doing, man? Oh, I mean, I, I can't complain too much. I mean, I, uh, you know, I got the uh, opportunity to have the house to myself for a little while this evening, which is always nice when you got, uh, you know, a family and kids and everybody running around. Mm-hmm. It's a novel concept, isn't it? Yeah, being alone. It's just, it gets to be weird after a while. <laughs> now, when I started this podcast uh, way back in Hallowed Antiquity in 2011, at that time, you said to me, dude, when you get to Final Wars, I want to talk about Godzilla Final Wars. So why don't you tell tell everybody how you got into Godzilla and Giant Monsters and, and why Final Wars is such a favorite of yours? Uh, well, you know, I, I grew up in the you know 80s and 90s with Godzilla being one of those things that was always on TV somewhere. Um, and... You know, I would always catch it on like Saturday afternoon monster, monster, uh, you know, movie hours or whatever. It was on the sci-fi channel a lot. And, you know, it, it was something that I wasn't, you know, I would always catch when it was on, but I didn't make a point of, uh, of seeking it out uh, until uh, actually it was one of our pre-Turkey Day Gorgeathon parties way back mm-hmm. again in Hallowed Antiquity. And uh, <laughs> we, you came with this uh, Godzilla Final Wars DVD. And uh, we sat down and, you know, had a few adult beverages and, and, and watched through most of it. And I had, uh, you know, like I said, I had I had watched a bunch of these movies before, but it had never been something that I had put a lot of thought into. But looking at uh, you know, I'm looking at all these uh, monsters that I recognized from the movies when I was a kid and I see Zilla from the uh, ever so delightful 1990s uh, American version of the movie. And uh, it just... Um, it was one of the things that got me to seek out Godzilla and, and giant monsters as a as a permanent fixture in my in my fandom bookshelf, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, you know, along with uh, that fateful weekend when you and Joe showed me all that <laughs> Ultraman and Power Rangers, and now I got all this stuff in my house and a, and a wife who barely puts up with me. So again, I hope you're proud of yourself. <laughs> well, you know, and uh, and and God bless your wife, and I mean that literally because she she gives me and Joe the side eye every time we're at your house, and suddenly the conversation turns usually to like Common Rider or or Ultraman, and it's like she just 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 that look that all wives have, you know. <laughs> now, what have you done? Yeah, and what's funny is uh, you telling that story is that I'm I'm almost certain that that copy of Final Wars was one that my brother had gotten me that was in raw Japanese. <laughs> so, and, and the, the fact that it was in raw Japanese doesn't matter because obviously Don Fry, of course, to speak in English throughout it that helps a little bit. 
But, you know, I said we, we had imbibed a few adult beverages and had eaten lots of meat. So I don't I don't know that the subtleties of the plot were really that crucial at that point. You know. and, and, you know, to be honest, in a lot of Godzilla movies, they're they're not. Although in this one, there's a lot more uh, human plot than there is in some of the other uh, some of the older movies. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, well, that that's kind of that's kind of like a hot button issue now in the Godzilla fandom is the amount of humans versus monster scenes uh, after, you know, between Legendary 2014 and now King of the Monsters in 2019. That that's a hot button issue on any Godzilla discussion group on Facebook or Twitter that I've seen. And, uh, you know, people's opinions about human stories in Godzilla movies. It's like, y'all need to just chill out. This is what you need to do, guys. Take it easy, please. Some people have uh, too much time on their hands and too much energy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, in in any event, so uh, Godzilla Final Wars was uh, released in uh, 2004, was supposed to final film in the Millennium series. Uh, Toho would get back into producing um, a live-action Godzilla film, of course, in 2016 with Shin Godzilla. Uh, The idea... Here was uh, that the Millennium Films had been kind of on a, a downward trend from a box office standpoint. So this was a big blowout uh, for Godzilla's 50th uh, anniversary to uh, shut the series down and uh, put them uh, put them on the shelf for a little bit to build interest back up. And uh, he was probably on the shelf longer than I think Toe anticipated, but uh, it worked out okay. They've they've uh, they've made some money and won a lot of awards between their American films and then Shin Godzilla. So uh, our director is uh, Ruhei Kitamura. Who th- this was a big get at the time because Kitamura was was really popular in both um, the Japan and the United States as as the director of verses at this point, and that was kind of the one that he was really well known for. Uh, it was seen kind of as a, a out of the box pick for Toho, who typically kept their you know their their stable of directors and and creative staff fairly tight. Although they had kind of they had did the same thing with Kaneko for GMK a couple of years prior. So it wasn't completely outside of the, the realm of possibility, but uh, Kitamura definitely brings a different visual style to this film. I think that's a fair statement. Oh yeah. I, I'd say so, especially um, given the sheer variety of monsters that we have, it's uh, and the, the technology and some of the uh, influences from contemporary movies uh, that you can pick up. Uh, in the uh, in the action scenes, especially a lot of them involving our uh, our main character, which again we we will get to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, Final Wars was written by Wataru M- uh, Mimura, who actually he wrote Godzilla vs Mechagodzilla '93 and Yamato Takeru, which is the the retelling of uh, the Japanese creation story. Uh, then then was brought back into the Godzilla series, and he wrote Godzilla 2000. Godzilla vs. Megazures, and Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. His partner on the screenplay was uh, Isio Kiyama. And Kiyama is primarily known for being a, uh, a collaborator with uh, Kitamura, uh, so that most of his credits actually are on Kitamura's uh, other properties, such as Sky High and Alive and, and uh, Love Death, which I think are all Kitamura uh, projects. Um, and uh, let's see, and uh, our, um, the, the music actually by Keith Emerson, is a, is only one credited with the music of Emerson Lake and Palmer uh, fame, the first American to be credited with music on a Japanese uh, Godzilla film, and and it's again it, the music is again much like the visual style with Kitamura. The music is very different in this movie. Yeah, I picked up a uh, you know obviously I've watched the movie a bunch of times before, but uh, uh, for the first time I noticed in the credits Sum Forty One, which is a, a band I remember from. Uh, 
my high school days. It was uh, it was really weird to have those two things sort of collide uh, in this movie. <laughs> yeah, they they have their their one song that that uh, ironically plays a a big role when Zilla shows up in this. Yeah. Uh, so and. Um, so, you know, and, and I said, our producer was Shogo Tomiyama. Of course, Tomiyuki Tanaka um, uh, was, was no longer with us at this time. So, uh, and I said, this just came out in Japan on December 4th, 2004. Obviously, all the Godzilla films typically for the uh, modern series always came out in December. And, um, you know, not, not to bury the lead, but unfortunately, this was not the big hit that Toho was hoping for. So uh, it, it, this, this film kind of exists in a weird, a weird place, both <laughs> critically and commercially, but I'm sure we will get into all of that. So any, any, uh, any thoughts before we get into uh, our synopsis? Uh, not at the moment, but uh, there are, uh, there's just so much going on in this movie that uh, <laughs> maybe yeah. we should get right into it. Yeah, there is a lot. This is, this is the longest Japanese Godzilla film also at two hours and five minutes by yeah. a, a good half an hour, I think, longer. Well, as I was going to say, Godzilla's Biolante, I think, is, is about is about an hour and 45 minutes, so about 20 minutes. But it, this is a for a movie this long, it really moves a lot. There's a lot going on here. So in Antarctica, as we see Godzilla battling with the flying spaceship Gotenko, and Godzilla is uh, trapped under the ice in Antarctica, and that's it. That's the end of the, he is buried and Godzilla is gone and no one has seen him for years. And uh, though we get we start immediately off the bat with a with a an action sequence of Godzilla fighting the Gotenko and getting buried in the ice. Yeah, that that was um, I, I appreciated the the old school uh, model look that they gave for the the Gotenko in that scene. Uh, it was. Uh, it reminded me a lot of uh, was it uh, Atragon that the Gotenko yeah, yeah ap- appeared in before. It, it looked a lot like that uh, that older model. So that was that was a nice bit of uh, visual uh, history there. Yeah, and I do like that we get we start right out. I mean, there's no, yeah. you know, a lot of times you you have kind of the slow burn. A lot of times, especially in uh, a lot of the Millennium films, where things kind of get you know they, they get started with the story and then they fill in. Here, it's literally before the credits even we get an action sequence. So you know this this is this is leaving it all on on the uh, on the screen for sure, and then the credits besides giving us the background about the um, uh, you know more the the Earth Defense Force and the mutants and all this stuff that that builds into basically being the backstory, we get uh, just a ton of cameos of other monsters through archival footage from the past you know 50 years of Godzilla films, including several monsters that don't appear. In, in the film at all, and th- this this is this is just really neat because they were it, at this time in the Millennium series, Toho had started very little bit dipping their toe into the idea of revisiting the Showa films. In the two uh, Mechagodzilla Kiru films, we get uh, we get an appear you know a cameo appearance from Gaira. Uh, they bring back uh, the characters from Mothra, and you know Tokyo SOS serves as a direct sequel to Mothra. But this was this was just like um, you know this this is like trotting out all the legends uh, for one last go around, even if they're not in the in the main story. Oh yeah, they they went from dipping their toe to, to plunging right in because there's <laughs> uh, there's uh, just about every movie uh, previous to this. There's at least one uh, little cutscene from. Yeah, my my brother always loved that Titanosaurus makes an appearance in there. <laughs> you know, I don't know why Titanosaurus didn't make the cut for this movie, but I guess that that's his lot in life. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, so going in, we, we go get past uh, the credits and then we're right back in the action 
as the upgraded Gotenko, who is commanded by Captain Douglas Gordon, played by Master Thespian Doug Fry. <laughs> and uh, Don, he uh, is... Matt, Don Fry, excuse me, Master Thespian yeah. Don Fry. Yeah. Uh, as they are, they they fight and kill Manda, uh, and uh, in a undersea uh, battle against the uh, the legendary dragon bees. Yeah, he is uh, legend legendary thespian and mustache haver Don Fry, who uh, <laughs> is just rocking an epic mustache for this entire movie. And uh, uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, it has to be seen I, and believed. I, I mean, I can only assume that Kitamura must have been like a, an MMA fan, a UFC fan. I mean, it's like, why is Don Fry here? It, it, there is no, I've yet to get a a, uh, a a plausible explanation for why Don Fry is in this movie, in this role. I really, I just don't know. Maybe he was just taking a studio tour that day. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, we need, we need an American and you're here. Uh, Manda makes a comeback for the first time, uh, really, since um, Destroy All Monsters. Manda makes a cameo in Terror Mechagodzilla, but doesn't actually appear in the story. The model for Manda is really cool. The CG for Manda has not held up well in the intervening yeah, years. No. <laughs> but, mean, uh, it's, it, I mean, no. But I mean, it still looked really cool, though. I mean, it just you, you can you can see the uh, you can see that uh, it's been 15 years. <laughs> it's it's very video game cutscene. The CG mm-hmm. Manda. You know, it moves too fast, a little too slick. Whereas the model Manda, especially wrapped around the Gotenko, which is kind of Manda's specially move, you know, is is that 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 is much appreciated. And of course, always getting Manda is nice. Uh, you know, he's he's one of those monsters that uh, he's he's an old school guy, so he always is in. He always kind of was always in discussion, but it's hard for Manda to interact with other monsters. So you know. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't have any limbs, so it makes it uh, unless he's wrapped around you. It makes it real hard to uh, to get him on screen with, without looking uh, pretty ridiculous. Yeah, that's why he's not involved in the fight at the end of uh, Destroy All Monsters. You know, him and him and Baragon and Varan, who are not none of none of which are capable of being involved in this fight because of the state of their either the the nature of their costumes or the state of their 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 prop are <laughs> are offset off scene. Um, so after the Manda is, uh, after Manda is defeated by the Goten, uh, Captain Gordon is suspended, uh, for his, uh, reckless actions in the battle and is, uh, suspended from the EDF. We then cut to our main character, Ozaki, who is, he is training with his fellow mutant soldier, Kazama, and we have slid right on into the matrix here. Uh, yeah, that was the, uh, the contemporary film I was alluding to. There is a lot of, uh, bullet time and camera, you know, camera spinning and, uh, uh that, that kind of thing in the, in this movie. Yeah. And, and it, it starts here and it's, I mean, there's a lot of focus put on that. That's one of the criticisms that I hear directed at this film is that yes, there's a ton of monsters, but the, the mutant storyline really monopolizes a lot of time and scenes like this are the ones that are pointed to that it's like, okay. This this might have been novel then. I mean, we're still what the Matrix was 1999, wasn't it? Or yeah, yeah. So we're we're still several years after that. The Matrix sequels have come out by this point, and uh, you know, it's like yes, that's still cool. That's still kind of the style of the times. But was the question always is well, is that out of place in a Godzilla movie? You know, or but you get again, you get the feeling that okay, Kitamura was said, well, I'm going to make the movie I want to make. I don't want to necessarily make something that's the same as all that. I don't think that's what people were expecting. I think that's kind of what, you know, I think it's one of those things where expectations versus reality 
what are what drive some of the criticisms of the the human aspects of this film. Yeah, the, uh, agreed, and, and th- that that bites a lot of folks in the uh, uh, in the butt for a lot of different fandoms. But I can definitely see here why it would be kind of a shock to go into the movie expecting you know your standard Godzilla affair and then get you know the 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 Keanu Reeves Matrix uh, uh, bullet time and all that. But uh, I I don't mind that much. I like that uh, I like when the when series like this occasionally mix it up and you know just throw throw you a couple new things to keep it fresh. Yeah. I, I don't I personally don't mind it. I mean, I, this film has its flaws. I don't think that's really one of them, honestly, because, you know, it, it's setting up the the rest of the story and and it's setting up why our hero is special and, and all that. So and, you know, again, it's it's unique. It's certainly it's certainly not going to be mistaken for any other film in the series. So you can, <laughs> you can especially when, you know, that that was uh, not so much Millennium films, but that was always a. Uh, a criticism kind of leveled at the the Heisei films is that they all kind of look the same. They got the same people in them. You know, they're all shot kind of the same. This one's like, nope. <laughs> so, uh, so Ozaki, he is given a new assignment. He is uh, bodyguarding for a UN biologist who is Dr. Mayuki Odanashi. And they have uh, discovered a mummified ancient monster. And uh, they are... Uh, examining this uh, giant uh, ancient monster when they are magically teleported to Infant Island where they encounter the Shobajin, the twin fairies of Mothra, and they tell our, uh, um, they tell uh, Ozaki and Mayuki that the mummified monster is Gigan, an alien cyborg who was sent to the Earth to destroy it uh, uh, centuries and centuries ago, but ultimately was defeated by Mothra. So we get a lot in this one little scene here uh, what do you think about the idea of, uh, you know, of, of Gigan, and, and let me, I'll address the, that pronunciation in a moment, of Gigan as not just an, an alien space cyborg, but an ancient alien space cyborg? Well, it's it's certainly new, and it certainly gives him uh, a, a uh, more important role in the plot than he could have had otherwise, since, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the monsters that we get later on, you know, they're, they're all Earth monsters, and he gets to have the, that sort of unique quality as the the one who is uh, who is already here who's already um been sent to, uh, ahead i guess do they i don't know if they did they ever really explain who sent him uh i don't yeah I don't well he's i mean he is a he is a mutant so he must be sent by the zillions right. yeah I mean, he was right. like the vanguard force i guess yeah. uh, all, all i know is as soon as they said well, he was he was an alien from ancient times i, I can't help it I, all i could think of was i'm not saying it's aliens <laughs> but it's aliens. It's aliens, and, and uh, the, you, you got the yeah you know, the the guy with the with the hair and a big picture of Geigen behind him. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can see it. Yeah, uh, I love that we get the Shobujin. Um, You know, they they were again the Shobujin just showed up last year in Tokyo SOS, uh, and and to me it's like well again say what you want about the level of homage to the show of films that Kitamura either did or did not produce, but. You know, Mothra's there. You got to have the Shobajin, right? And in, in some capacity, when they didn't do the Shobajin in GMK, that kind of rubbed people the wrong way. So I was happy. I'm always happy to see the the, the twin fairies. And I appreciated how they uh, they they learn about Gigan through the cave paintings on the walls in uh, on Infant Island. Um, it, it it made for a nice. Uh, change from you know it's it's almost always like a you know like a scientist somewhere who discovers something but uh, but this time they're magically teleported to uh, infant island and, and get to read cave paintings instead yeah and that cave painting motif of course would get recycled in kong skull island 
and set up King of the Monsters in the in the post credit sequence. So, you know, they're, 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 it's, it's little things like that. But that's that's kind of like the whole concept of the monster verse is that, you know, mythology is their compass. Right. So they, they use mythology as their guidelines and the cave paintings certainly fit that. And, you know, there's no really more mythological style monster who's actually popular from the Toa Pantheon than Mothra. Um, the, the, the dub, I have the, uh, now that I, I own this movie in a really ridiculous format. Okay. <laughs> I have it on UMD. Oh, uh, with the PSP? <laughs> yes. I have it and I watched it on my PSP. I, I own it in other formats as well, but I watched it on the UMD because I just thought that was hilarious. But in any event, I've got the UMD case. I'll hold it up to the microphone for everybody to see. So I, I am that I am telling the truth. Um, so there was a, for a long time, uh, the monster, the pref, the, 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 the pronunciation you got in the dubs was Gigan. Like if you watch Godzilla versus Gigan or Godzilla versus Megalon, they say Gigan. That, that is how his name was pronounced. Now, in, in the modern games, like in um, uh, what, what's um, uh, got, uh, Destroy All Monsters Melee and some of the other games that came after that, they've gone back to saying Gigan, and they say Gigan in the dub here. So it's one of those things where Toho can't just kind of decide how they want Westerners to pronounce their monster's name. So unfortunately, now I'm at the point where I go back and forth between saying Gigan and Gigan, and, and I, just, I can't control it unless I'm really conscious of it. So... <laughs> It's like, damn you. <laughs> hey, muscle memory, sort of. Yeah, well, that's that's one of those, uh, you know, one, one of those uh, uh, first first world nerd problems, I guess. So, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no sooner do the the Shobajin warn that a great battle is coming, than giant monsters appear all over the globe and start attacking. And this is this is the part I think that. This, this is one of the parts that Final Wars is most best known for and remains one of the you know, best bits from it. So um, a whole plethora of monsters appears all over the world. Rodan shows up in New York City. Anguirus attacks Shanghai. Zilla appears in Sydney. King Caesar attacks Okinawa, appropriately. Kamakuras appears in Paris. Kuamunga appears in the deserts of Arizona. And uh, Ibra attacks... Uh, in Tokyo, um, and before we get into the bit with Ibra, uh, th- this is this is this is bananas. First off, the just the, de- the depiction of Manhattan as a relocated New Yorker is freaking hilarious. Oh yeah, I, I wrote that down, and I was actually gonna gonna bring it up if you didn't. Just the the idea that New York is entirely uh, pimps in fur coats and pink Cadillacs and uh, like arguments with policemen. That, that, that's yeah. all you get. That's the only thing that New York is famous for. <laughs> I also think it's funny that there's actual there's profanity in English in that scene as well, which is which is is amazing, you know, because that scene I don't believe that scene was dubbed. I think it was left in English when it appeared in Japan. But they 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 they, they dropped the s bomb in there, which is like, come on. That's it's just a, hilarious. It, it is, and uh, it's actually something I learned about Japanese culture is that um, the, the they don't have a, a real firm idea of profanity in their language. It's one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, if you have a word and you have invented it, the idea that you should never use it is kind of ridiculous. So uh, they're they're a lot more lax about swearing than than we would be in a, in, a, in an American movie. Yeah, uh, but that the uh, the depiction of Manhattan notwithstanding, Rodan is partially portrayed by 
portrayed by CG. Uh, but Rodan flapping his wings as he zooms between the skyscrapers and the shockwave shattering out all, all of the windows is that that's epic. I love that. Yeah, that that um, that scene. Uh, and then I think it was that was the same scene where they he also and he's flying down the street. All of the characters that we've just been introduced to get get blown away in like an explosion. Yes. Uh, yes. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Rodan looks really great in this. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, for the most part, these monsters look really cool. And they're really nice updates. Some of these guys we have not seen in a long, long time. I mean, um, you know, Angurus we haven't seen since Godzilla vs. Gigan. So that was, I mean, that was, what, 1972? Um, you know, uh, King Caesar was, uh, was 1974. Kamakuris, we hadn't seen new footage of Kamakuris really since Son of Godzilla. I mean, they had appeared in, in stock footage in uh, other films. Same with Kumanga. And then Ibra, of course, hadn't appeared since his his you know his debut. So it's great to see all these these monsters again. And for the most part, they look really good. I like how uh, kind of stocky Anguirus is. You know, he looks like a quadruped, and mm-hmm. he doesn't walk. He only walks as a quadruped in the in this film. He doesn't do any you know that half half biped half quadruped thing. And uh, King Caesar, I, I like that they lean into more of the idea of him being very humanoid because he. Uh, uh, we'll see later that he actually he does the samurai run with his one hand in front and one hand behind him, like the Ginga Man run, you know. <laughs> and of course, he attacks Okinawa, which you know makes sense. King Caesar, the defender of Okinawa. <laughs> what do you uh, think about getting all the uh, all the 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 old school monsters back? I mean, it was great. Like uh, a lot of these, I only knew from a, like a single movie, and so. Even you know, like to- like Tokyo SOS or Destroy All Monsters, where we got more than one. Uh, or like a bunch of them attacking all over the world. It was never on this on this scale, uh, especially considering they even went to the trouble of including the American Godzilla destroying Sydney. Yes. Which, which uh, when we when, the first time we watched that, that just blew my mind. That uh, I mean, of course, it, it sets up a funny gag later, but uh, just just the fact that they would even acknowledge that that movie's existence, even just to make fun of it, was was just crazy <laughs> to me. And 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 I do love that all of the monsters that um, are at a minimum portrayed in live action, possibly with some CG enhancement, like Kamakura's wings mm-hmm. are are CG, uh, but Zilla, as his official name, you know, not Gino or whatever, his official name being Zilla. Um, he is entirely CG. He did, you know, cause when you think about it, one of the reasons that he was CG was that his design would be really tough to do in suitmation, mm-hmm. the way that his legs bend and stuff. But I just love that they keep him as CG. That's just what Zilla looks like, you know? Exactly. Uh, oh, and the, the other thing that really struck me, uh, with this, uh, sort of montage of, of destruction was when they, when they show Vancouver, Canada, and they've got uh, they've got the the bratty kid with the chocolate all over his face. Yes, uh, and he's got the he's got a what is it? Is it a Squirtle or a Gamera? Some kind of it, it's it's a big turtle. I'm guessing it's supposed to be Gamera. And he goes, "You suck!" and throws him in the fire. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, "Take that, Gamera." <laughs> and he reminded me of one of the kids from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Augustus Gloop, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I'm I want I'm wondering why is Kuamanga in Arizona. You know, what is what is so crucial in Arizona that that Kuamanga has to attack there? It's that one guy in his trailer. <laughs> yes, clearly. Uh, but uh, yeah, so so um, no sooner do uh, all these monsters appear than, as I said, uh, 
Ibra attacks uh, Tokai, and the EDF shows up, and they are attacking him. The EDF, of course, uh, and their M organization, which is made up of all the mutants, they are fighting Ibra with high-tech weapons and, like, jetpacks, and they're holding their own against Ibra to the point that they actually manage to mortally wound him before Ibra and all of the other monsters are mysteriously teleported away. And before we get to that plot point, what is your take on the mutants, even with their superhuman powers and their advanced weaponry, being able to not just hold their own, but actually beat a monster? I, I wrote it. I wrote in my notes that they uh, that Ibra got wharf affected. Uh, if you've ever been, to, if uh, I mean, I know you have, but uh, if the listeners have ever been to the the website TV Tropes, uh, the wharf effect is something that used to happen to wharf all the time on uh, on Star Trek: The Next Generation, where whatever enemy was uh, was attacking them that week, it would always have to beat up wharf to show how how uh, strong they were. And uh, <laughs> I think I think Ibra gets that effect here. Is uh, they they. You know, I, I don't know how plausible it would be even in a movie with, you know, a giant lobster in it uh, that uh, that people on foot could defeat him. But I guess they, they had to they had to somehow show how, like, advanced and powerful the mutants were as compared to regular human beings. And uh, he got he got the short straw or something. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm kind of in the same opinion. It's like I don't the, I don't mind them being able to hold their own against him. Again, it shows first off, it shows off just how. The, the, the powers that the, the mutants have and their weaponry, the idea that they could kill him, that, that kind of always bugged me. It's like, and, and part of that is because I do like Ibra, so I'm probably more prone, you know, but it's like, if it had been Kamakuras, I'd have been like, eh, okay. You know, it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't have bothered me as much because to me, the Kamakuras are not as big a threat, but you know, Ibra went toe to toe with Godzilla. I mean, he's, he's not a pushover, you no. know? Yes. He's still a big shrimp. He's the, you know, the most jumbo shrimp ever, but, <laughs> well, the, the other thing that annoyed me about that scene is at least in the dub that I was watching, uh, they said that they were going to fry that lobster. And yeah. I'm like, come on, guys, you boil lobsters. You, you ha- it was it was right there for you. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, and, and you being from, you know, being from Maryland, the whole <laughs> seafood thing, you got to get that crap right. You don't. Yeah, I know. Make, you don't. <laughs> it's, it's one of my few areas of practical knowledge. Seafood, you know. Tires and there's an old yeah, there's an old beige joke in there somewhere <laughs> just waiting to come out. That always uh, that that's in in the the Misty for Godzilla vs. Sea Monster when when he is attacking the ships. Get the melted butter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, there was another MST3K reference. It was uh, you know I th- I think I'd eat that in drawn butter and then I yeah. eat my own head in drawn butter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh man, <laughs> good stuff. But uh, well, the one, well, I, this, this is a shout out to my brother. Uh, you know, uh, fix that whoop whoop noise. That's the line he always loves from Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster. But anyway, before before we get into that, so as I said, all the all the monsters, even Ibra, are uh, teleported away almost as quickly as they arrived, and they are revealed to be teleported away by an alien mothership, uh, by piloted by the Exilians. And the Exilians, like all good aliens, say they have come in peace and that they want to warn the uh, Earth that an incoming planet called Gorath will soon crash into the planet and destroy it. And so uh, the, the, UN, the UN um, buys into this and they sign a peace treaty with, with the Exilians. And, uh, and, and we are, you know, that, that, that is now we're into kind of the main thrust of the story here. Um, 
I, I love that the Exilians as a kind of a play on the uh, the on the the Exians from Monster Zero, uh, and just kind of as a, the idea of an alien race coming to Earth, claiming to be our friends, and of course they're not our friends. Uh, so that I thought was was really neat. Um, the I think it's uh, uh, you know the this and the use of the of Gorath. Or Gorath, depending on your pronunciation, that of course from the film of the same name, which is uh, very hard to find, did exist, does exist in English. It was released on VHS, but that is the film again where it's a runaway planet named Gorath, or Gorath, uh, which is going to crash into Earth and destroy it. That features the uh, brief appearance in the Japanese version by the giant walrus monster Magma, who uh, sadly does not appear in this film. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to me, it's like having an alien invasion story in this. Uh, uh, in, in this, in the last of the millennium films, which had been, you know, really kind of getting away from, I say that that had been, had been not doing the same types of show style stories. I thought was, I thought it was a really good touch. Yeah. It, it, again, it's a, it's one of those things that they did, um, you know, to call back to the previous movies. And, uh, I think it, I think it works really well. I mean, it, it is a, it is a well-worn trope, you know, in, in movies in general, but it has a sort of a special, uh, special relationship to the Godzilla movies that are, I appreciated. Yeah. I, I do like the the Exilians um, uh, costumes are not they're they're all just black leather but they have the visors so they're they're kind of calling back a little bit to the uh, to the to the Exians who wore the visors on their uh, over their eyes like that the uh, so um, and oh that's the other thing after the the Zillions sign their peace pact and everybody is going crazy for the aliens on Earth they're all think the aliens are going to come save us because they've never seen a movie ever I guess. <laughs> Uh, Manila pops up in the forest, uh, in the, the, in the base of Mount Fuji and is found by a young boy and his grandfather. Again. And it, but it, and it's Manila. It's really him. It's not little G or anything like that. It's old school, goofy Pillsbury doughboy Manila. Uh, I, I, this is another one of those ones that really surprised me. I was, you know, as, as much as people give a hard time to you know, like Son of Godzilla or movies like that. I always had a soft spot for Manila with his little little puffs, little, you know, rings of smoke that he throws out, and uh, just <laughs> uh, having to be on, just pop up in Mount Fuji with some, uh, frankly, a very bizarrely dressed uh, grandpa and his uh, and his kid. The guy's wearing like <laughs> caveman furs. Yeah, I'm not sure what's up with that, to be honest. With you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, but before we get too much farther in, um, one of the one of the scenes where the uh, the the Earthlings are celebrating the Exilians and, and how great they are, it's one of those crowd scenes where everybody's holding up the you know the poster board uh, signs, and yeah. one of them says "Happy Birthday." <laughs> I, I was I was very confused. I think it might have been one of those things where like they like there's just you know the crew do a few stock phrases in English and that was one of them. But yes. I just thought that was funny. Oh yeah, that is funny. <laughs> oh man now i did want to say i did want to mention uh some of the um uh some some of the cast here so and, and you mentioning that does bring us back a little bit so the head of the un uh the un secretary general who is uh, the character is uh, secretary general daigo he is played by akira takarada a very well-known and beloved uh um uh, actor in uh, the Toho Godzilla series started out way back in 1954 playing Ogata in Godzilla appeared in many many more he was in uh, Mothra versus Godzilla he was in Half Human you know he was in The Last War he was in Invasion of Astro Monster King Kong Escapes Ibra Horror of the Deep Latitude Zero you know, he's he's got a ton so Akira Hakurada 
uh, always always good to see uh, always glad to see him and then the captain of the the or excuse me, the commander of the earth defense force is kumi mizuno uh, you know, beloved uh, Toho actress who has countless appearances in the films. Uh, most famous to me for playing Miss Namikawa, the the girl from Planet X in Monster Zero, which is uh, that uh, that that did strange that her costume did strange things to me when I was younger. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> What's yeah, also I, great I, is that she plays, but she plays the commander of the EDF here. She previously played the Prime Minister a couple of years earlier in Godzilla uh, against Mechagodzilla. Uh, the, 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 it, uh, in a movie that harkens back to uh, a lot of Godzilla history, you know, I'm, I'm not great with the with the actors and the directors and, and, and on any kind of level like you are. But both of those people stuck out to me as like faces that I think I thought I should knew or thought I should know. Right. And so it, it's good to be validated on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all need a little validation now and again. Yeah. Uh, so with the peace pact now signed and uh, we're going to go stop the Goreth. Um, you know, Ozaki, Miyuki, and uh, her sister, Miyuki's sister is uh, Anna. She is a, a TV news reporter. And uh, I want to ask you about this. I think Kitamura likes all his women to wear skirts. What do you think about that? Because they, there's certainly a lot of girls in short skirts in this movie. Yeah, there's a for a woman who is uh, supposed to be a biologist and another who's supposed to be a, a TV reporter, there's an awful lot of leg in their outfits and i'm not saying that you know tv reporters don't don't sometimes uh you know show a little leg uh, or whatever but uh, there, there there's one scene in particular where she's talking to the prime the uh, secretary general of the un where it's just her in the middle of a room sitting on a stool in a very short skirt and yes. it, it just there's a, like a tracking shot up her legs so clearly yeah. uh you, the the director was a leg man which yeah. you know I, I can respect i mean i could see if this was set in like you know south america you see like those south and central american you know, uh, weather girls and stuff on YouTube. You always get, you see, you, for some reason, they always seem to pop up. And it's like, you won't believe what this weather girl is wearing. It's like, but this is Japan. They're a little more, yeah. a little more conservative, I would have, I would imagine. But in any event, um, so they are, they are suspicious of the whole thing because they're the heroes. So they're suspicious. And they do some digging and they discover that the Gorith is actually a hologram and there's not really a giant planet coming to crash into Earth. And that the Zillions have already moved in and replaced certain key members of the EDF with duplicates, including the commander. So what that means is, yes, that's right. Kumi Mizuno is playing an alien once again. I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, at least at least for uh, uh, she, and uh, it was the thing that uh, that they figured out was that they don't blink. Because uh, yes. they're looking at uh, at archival footage of the Secretary General as well as uh, as well as the Commander, uh, and they view this footage on a mini disc, which I thought was very <laughs> Japan in two thousand four. Yes, absolutely. Oh, uh, so so they they um, you know they they go. So uh, Anna does a whole thing where she goes on TV with the Secretary General and the Exilian Commander and the Young Controller, and she exposes them using some prior knowledge about the secretary general's dog. So this is this, yes, this is a dog movie. So if you love dogs, there's an adorable little doggy in this movie, uh, to expose them, which, uh, just sends the young controller into an uncontrollable fit of laughter where he then kills the commit, the zillion commander and the young controller is now in charge of this invasion. And they give us, uh, all the backstory now about the idea that they, they're going to, turn earth into basically one big uh, cattle ranch 
uh, so they can harvest humans to use and then take control of all the mutants because mutant DNA is based on alien DNA that they seeded many, many years ago. And thus, not only uh, uh, they have an army of monsters at their disposal, they now have all of the M organization of the EDF at their disposal to uh, take over the world. So bad things going down here for the Earth. Yeah, and then we, uh, after the after the confrontation with the control mutants, we get the, uh, well, not obligatory in a Godzilla movie, but in, ac- in any action movie, the motorcycle fight, which is yes. always fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it, it starts out as the obligatory car chase. Yeah. And then it turns into the obligatory motorcycle fight with with uh, because we get it's it's Ozaki and Kazama on motorcycles fighting, and it's almost it's 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 like well it's like we we stopped the Godzilla movie for a moment, and we're in a Common Rider story now. Yeah, I was thinking Mission Impossible, but yeah, Common Rider works too. Yeah, uh, Mission, just... Mission Impossible is probably a better a better yeah for the the, <laughs> the '90s Mission Impossible movies. Absolutely, that's probably a better call, but. I mean, again, it's it's a good scene for the budget that this film has to pull off something like that is impressive. But at that point, you're like, I really want to get to the, <laughs> I want to get to the monster story now. Now that we've set the mo- the ball in motion and we know what the monster story is, I want to get there. So it's like I like it, but I'm I'm frustrated by it at the same time. Yeah, I mean, what watching um. Watching Ozaki uh, hit Kazama in the face with the back wheel of his motorcycle was pretty great, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, give me some Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. uh, so they, uh, they, the our humans get the the plan. They go, they um, Ozaki, Miyuki, and and Anna. They go and they they break Gordon out of the pokey where he's been since uh, you know the beginning of the story, and they are going to go. They are going to hijack. The uh, the Gotenko and their plan is they are going to release Godzilla from his Arctic tomb and let him kill all the monsters. So again, Gareth Edwards, let them fight. We they did it back. Kitamura did it back in 2004. I'm just saying. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so they go. They get um, they 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 go. They they get Gordon. They get the the Gotenko. Uh, we get kind of the obligatory. Um, you know, romance between the two secondary characters as uh, Gordon and Anna clearly are an item now. Yeah, that happened very suddenly, but yeah. uh, you know, the, the world is ending. I guess there's, there's not a lot of time for uh, pleasantries and, uh, and preliminaries uh, when it comes to romance, when the, the world cities are being destroyed around you. Well, you know, the, you know, I'm, I'm sure you know the theory about that. Um, you know, there's been all these studies over the years to, to um, you know, try and make a, a scientific or evolutionary basis for why certain um, certain body types of females are attractive to males and vice versa. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, th- this, you know, uh, when, when you see this property that is an evolutionary response to the idea that they can, uh, you know, produce healthy offspring or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like. Anna simply just saw that mustache and immediately it triggered something in the reptilian base of her brain. It's like, that's a man right there. <laughs> yeah, he's got, he's got a mustache, a commissar hat and a katana. You know, I'm, uh, she, she, she was done. She never had a yeah. chance. Uh, hell, I mean, they're, they're guaranteed. There's some dudes in the audience like, yup, I'm right there with her. But uh, <laughs> so, so they, they fly up to, um, <laughs> they fly up to Antarctica and they got the two guys heading up at the Antarctic base and they are just, you know, they're, they're tranquilo. They're just relaxed. Don't get upset, man. Just be relaxed. And uh, they fly up to the North Pole, Area G, which I think is really nice. Um, and then uh, one of the guys, I think his name is Glenn, because they yell, Glenn! Glenn! Which is, again, straight from Monster Zero. 
They are listening to the theme song from Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 1974. <laughs> that that really jazzy... He's listening to and he's bopping his head along to. That's the opening title track <laughs> from Godzilla 74. Yeah, th- those two guys are great. Uh, the, the one of them's got like a little toaster oven with a croissant in it. And he's... Uh, I guess they're just they're just enjoying their, their, their time at the end of the world. Yeah, well, you know, what are you going to do? He says, like, what are we going to do about it? We're in the middle of nowhere. Nobody's going to come and help us. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so, uh, so they go and they, they, and th- this is really strange because they, 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 um, on the go tanko, they fire all the missiles. And this, this is where I really started noticing this. They fire all the missiles and they release Godzilla. But before we get to that story point, it was here at this portion of the film when they started flying the Gotenko all around and we start the monster battles. Is it, and maybe, maybe I'm just way off, but it seems to me like this is really designed to be like an anime and, and not just kind of the story, but the way it's shot, the way it's blocked out, the way that the cinematography is, it looks like this should be animated. Some of the way that the, the shots of the Gotenko and of the, the, the crew on the Gotenko, the way that the missiles fire, it very anime-like to me. What did you, did you get any, have any thoughts on that? I didn't pick up on it while I was watching it, but now that now that you've brought it up, it definitely does. Especially the uh, you know the, the way the missiles move uh, and the there's a very battle like um, space battleship Yamato feel to the bridge of the Gotenko. Yes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I don't know if they were going for that or if it was uh, a happy accident because you know it was a Japanese production. Uh, the hair was definitely very anime like throughout this yeah. entire movie, uh, except for Don Fry, of course, but. Uh, but, but that uh, that but yeah. but, and and he, but even like then I, but then I started I started like just popping through it after I watched it and looking at different scenes even the stuff with the mutants and the fighting and the motorcycle fight and all that reminded me more of an anime so I almost wonder if that was like a, again a conscious decision I've never seen an interview with Kitamura where he's he's um, you know said that or made any indication of that but I, I'd love to get. That's why I, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm an anime kind of, I mean, I, I know what I like, you know, I'm like a typical guy like that, but I'm not a huge connoisseur. I'd love to get mm-hmm. someone a little bit more well-versed in that more in anime than Tokusatsu to watch this and, and, and get an opinion on that, but have to table that. Maybe I'll, I'll reach out to Gene Hendricks and uh, Dr. Bill Robinson. And yeah, they as you say, they can uh, an- anime is not one of the, uh, the items on my nerd shelf either. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not very useful in that, uh, in that aspect. Yeah, Joe kind of looks down on us for that one, I think. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so the the aliens, the zillions, are not taking Godzilla's release standing, um, sitting down. So they drop Gigan into. See, I did it again. They drop Gigan or Gigan into the uh, into the Arctic to do battle with Godzilla, and we get our first really good look at Final Wars Gigan, which is far and away one of the most popular redesigns from this movie. Yeah, he looks he looks great, especially in this in this first form here, and um, the visual effects that they've done with his uh, with his eye beam was pretty great too. Uh, I I just really like it's it's a good all around package for uh, for old guy again there. Yeah, and the thing with is that they they they've changed his color a little bit because in the show of films he's kind of like an olive green as his base color, and now he's more of like a dark blue, and. He, he still has the, the hammer hands, the hook hands. He still has the, the buzzsaw. He still has the, the mandibles and the beak. As you say, he now actually does have his eye beam. He always was supposed to have his eye beam, but it never actually showed up in either of the other two movies that he appeared in. 
for you know budgetary considerations. Um, but yeah, it is it is a cool effect where it shoots out like a like a field and all the little explosions in the field. Yeah. Uh, it, so yeah, I mean, Final Wars Gigan, they they you know they they've made many many toys of him. I have the Bandai Creation large scale vinyl, the one that's probably about I'd say about twelve to uh, fourteen inches tall at the head. I've got that one upstairs. He's just a really cool upgrade of a monster that was cool but kind of crazy looking. He's they lean more into the crazy looking with this look for Gigan. Yeah, no, I I agree, and the um the He's got like these some gold accents too, which I think really work. And uh, I, I like the um, the I mentioned the the effect on his uh, on his eye beam, which he you know again now has. But uh, it reminded me of uh, like a combination of uh, of flares and chaff. If you've ever played like a fighter game, mm-hmm. like uh, it, it looks like he just like released a cloud of like tiny of uh, of tiny missiles that explode around the uh, around the target. Yeah, very cool. So uh, we are now set for our first of many showdowns in this movie as it is Godzilla versus Gigan at area G and uh, yeah, Gigan loses his head. Yeah. Uh, not, I mean, not, um, it doesn't last very long. No. Uh, yeah, not at all. Not metaphorically. I mean, he literally gets his head blown off. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> he is, uh, he is decapitated uh, after he tries the, uh, the, the barb, like the, uh, I don't know what you call them. They look, they look kind of like uh, barbed wire that he fires out. Yeah, yep. uh, he's, he tra- he's got kind of the he he tangles them up with like a chain sort of. It's like it's a barbed chain that he can launch out of his uh, out of his flanks, and then he's wrapping them and pulling Godzilla toward him. Kind of like uh, I think Ivy has a move like that in Soul Calibur, doesn't she? Where she wraps you up and pulls you towards her with her chain yeah. sword, or like yeah, a, like a again, scorpion does, does kind not, of thing. <laughs> yeah, does, doesn't work so well for Gigan here as he gets gets his head blown off, and then Godzilla destroys the the area G base. So our two tranquilo buddies, they they're done, I guess. So <laughs> yeah, well they, I mean they they went out, um, I don't know, relaxing and having croissants. So there's, yeah. uh, an espresso or they had all kinds of uh, luxuries there, which I guess you kind of have to have if you're stuck in an Antarctic base for months at a time. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you know, you gotta, gotta make do with what you got. Right. Uh, I do also want to talk about the Godzilla suit here because we do get a really good look at it. It is still the, the basic silhouette of the majority of the millennium suits. Um, not, uh, I'm, no, I'm, I'm excluding the GMK suit, which is, is noticeably uh, different in, in many ways here. But uh, I do like this, that compared to, um, the the Godzilla that we got in um, Godzilla against Mechagodzilla and Tokyo SOS. This one's a little bit a little bit slimmer, uh, a little bit more mobile. He's very well articulated, mm-hmm. and I think that mobility and that articulation it it gave me a show of vibe, you know, because the Heisei Godzilla just was bulky and big, and you looked at him and he was a monster, and he looked really like a, like a, 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 an animal, you know, and the millennium films were kind of the same way for the most part. This one kind of harkens back a little bit to, you know, Haru Nakajima playing Godzilla in the old Showa films where he could move around a lot more. You know, there's, there's a little bit more mobility in his movements. And, uh, and, and I just, I thought it's a good design. It's the final wars. Godzilla suit is not as popular as some of the other millennium looks, but again, much like Gaian, I have the big, uh, Bandai creation, Final Wars Godzilla. That's a really nice rendition. I think it's a good suit. What do you think about Godzilla's appearance in this film? Uh, I really like, especially his head. Uh, I yes. feel like he's got a very, 
like in some of the Godzilla films, he looks very animalistic, but I think he's got a lot of the, they've, they've managed to put a lot of intelligence into the face. Like, I think he, he looks a lot more, uh, like intelligent and crafty and, uh, that they, they kind of play that up with, uh, there's, there's a lot of, uh, lingering shots of, you know, flames, uh, like the flames reflecting in his eyes and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and he's got, um, you know, again, I'm not. Uh, in, I don't have the encyclopedic knowledge of the Godzilla suits like you do, but he does have a little, like, little ears, which I, yes. uh, which I thought were pretty cool. Yeah, he uh, does have ears a lot of times in the starting with the Heisei films. He does have ears, but it does. He does. You're right. He does have a lot of personality, which he needs in this movie. Where in uh, in in Tokyo SOS and and uh, GXMG and Tokyo SOS, purposefully, I think he has less personality in that in those films because of kind of the nature of that of those stories where he's, he is not, you know, he, he's definitely the outsider in those stories mm-hmm. Whereas here. He's one of the, he's more of a heroic role. So I, I agree. Having the more personality in the face is, is, is very nice. Um, so with, with Geigen killed, our heroes put into play their master plan, which is the part that everybody loves about this movie, where it is now the Godzilla world tour 2004 as he goes all over the world and beats up and kills monsters in rapid succession, starting with, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 no, no, who's he start with? I forget, but we, we, Zilla. Yeah, he says he start. Yes, that's right. Starts with Zilla in Sydney. And that this is where some 41 comes in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I appreciate that, uh, you know, obviously, again, it's 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 a gag. Uh, Zilla lasts for approximately twelve seconds uh, yeah. in, in this battle, uh, and then the uh, the Zillion le- or Exilian leader uh, says, "Oh, I never thought that tuna head was worth anything anyway." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember there being a huge response to this in the fandom at the time. This idea that that Godzilla killed Zilla so easily, basically tail chopping him into the Sydney Opera House because you're in Sydney. You know, and then uh, blasting him with a torrent of flame, and people like oh, cheering this idea that oh, he, look how quickly he took out the pretender. But then you compare it to the other battles, and it's like no, they're all pretty much like this. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the only person, the only people I think who fare worse are poor um, uh, Hedra and Ibra. That's right, Hedra's in this movie. You'll blink and you'll miss five him. seconds. Yeah, yeah. As he gets punched out of the water, and then Ibra thrown out of the water after him, and Ibra impales Hedra, and they both die. It's, suddenly, you know, my, my concerns about the respect paid or not paid to Ibra earlier in the film don't seem as important, you know? <laughs> yeah, at least he got an extended scene the first time. Yeah, seriously. Um, Kamakuras gets impaled um, on, uh, is on the Eiffel Tower, I believe, right? Yeah, because they're in Paris. Um, Kumonga um, Kumonga attack webbing attack is another anime thing to me where he shoots the web out as a, as a string and then it just explodes into a net mm-hmm. and falls on him I, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what to make of that to be honest <laughs> yeah that seems like one of those things that uh, it looks cool but if, if you think about it too hard it it, it all falls apart so, so it's don't like an, it's like an attack from Digimon is what it all it strikes <laughs> me as every time it's like web shooter, you know, or something like that. And uh, and speaking of, of animes from when I was in college, uh, uh, Kumonga, Godzilla grabs his webbing, spins him around, and throws him over the horizon like Team Rocket. <laughs> Kumonga blasting off again. I expected a little twinkle as he went flying over there. 
Um, yeah, again, I mean, I, I love Kumonga. He's, he's such a great monster, but nobody, no monster's getting put over in this movie except Godzilla for the time being. So he's, he's just, he's just grist for the mill. Uh, then the, 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 um, the part to me that is always real interesting about this is the next sequence where Godzilla fights his three allies from the show mm -hmm. of films and they're at Mount Fuji. So I thought that was, was great. So he's fighting Angurus, Rodan and King Caesar here. And again, there's again, they, they now, yes, this scene is a little bit longer than some of the others, but it's still kind of played for laughs a little bit. Uh, there is the great bit where, um, Angurus rolls up in a ball and then King Caesar kicks him like a soccer ball. Yeah. And then, uh, then Godzilla goes for the goes to save the goal and misses. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's a cheer from the crowd, like a World Cup match. It's like, wh what? <laughs> uh, I do think notably that uh, the the this three way battle. This is the only one where he lets his opponents live. Yes. So uh, I, I like to imagine that it was you know respect for his uh, for his friends. He just uh, he he couldn't he couldn't bring himself to to finish him off. Yeah. There there is. Um, Toakingdom.com has a has a great picture. It's from a a Japanese. I don't know if it's a if it's a, a picture book or a magazine because you know sometimes they'll they'll do just making of books where it's just tons and tons of pictures, mm -hmm. where there is a, a a shot or a scene of the three allies piled up and Godzilla charging up his atomic breath, suggesting that there may have been at one point an idea for Godzilla to kill these three like he does everyone else whether that was ever planned or in the script I'm, i don't know I've, I've never seen um uh evidence one way or the other on that but i agree i'm glad that the three allies don't get killed just again as an homage to the show of films um that that they are spared from uh, the wrath that everybody else gets in this movie <laughs> um this also we get to see uh, after this uh, down at um uh, at the base of Mount Fuji, we get to see Manila shoot his atomic smoke ring, right? Which is a classic. Mm -hmm. And then grow giant, just like in Go uh, Godzilla's Revenge, which Toho really wants us to call All Monsters Attack, but I'm always going to call Godzilla's Revenge. I, I can't help myself. Where he is small to interact with uh, Ichiro and then grows, you know, air quotes up to the mic, giant grows to, he's still small, but he's big, you know to go fight Gabra. So he does that here. He grows giant in another, another show style scene. Yeah. I like the, I like the little, uh, little power up where he, uh, he blows a smoke ring and then, and then, and then starts glowing. Yeah. You know, like uh, he's, he's reached uh, baby Godzilla puberty or something. <laughs> uh, the, so, um, the, all the other monsters have been beaten. So they are now, uh, Ozaki, Miyuki and, um, Gordon, on the uh, uh, on the the Gotenko, they lead the Gotenko back to Tokyo, where the uh, Zillion mothership is still uh, is still parked, and then they dock onto the mothership, and then we start another fight, and uh, now but we're into a human fight now, as they are fighting all again all the mutants that are still under their control. Uh, they rescue the actual secretary general and the actual commander of the, uh, of the EDF. But it's a, it turns into again, a human story for a while here as they face uh, really crazy odds trying to get off of, uh, off of the, the mothership. And that's where, uh, you know, Ozaki learns his true nature as to why he as a mutant is not being controlled by the other, uh, by the zillions, like the other mutants. Because he's a super Saiyan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Yeah, again, this is, I mean, it's, 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 it's like a manga, it's like an anime, it just kind of is, right? You know, yeah. it, it's it's because we need you here, that's why. <laughs> and it's fine, there's nothing wrong with that, it's it's yeah. it's just not the most, you know, in-depth, emotionally resonant human story you're going to get in a Godzilla film, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and uh, I, d- I did appreciate because, you know, when um, when X or whatever the the the, the younger Zillion commander or Exilian commander's name is uh, when he awakens his uh, what do they call it um, like his uh, what do they what do they call it? It's like like not his Caesar powers, his uh, Kaiser. Kaiser. Yeah, yeah, his Kaiser powers. Uh, he, he is he is initially evil. And then uh, Miyuki gets the bright idea to stab him with the magic amulet that the. Uh, that the Mothra twins gave him, yes, and, uh, and that makes him good, which yeah. uh, apparently is just you know common knowledge in Japan. I don't. I guess so. I mean, it's a good it's a good thing the the, the fairies gave it to her, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they must have anticipated her needing to stab him to make him good. <laughs> yes, so that that is the the explanation. The, the Kaisers that the Kaisers are a special type of mutant that uh, human DNA and M base M mutant DNA are combined. And uh, that is why he cannot be controlled. And so the Zillion controller and Ozaki begin fighting. And then uh, they are, so Godzilla is there and Godzilla wants to just destroy the Gotenko and destroy the, uh, the Zillion ship. So they have, they, they bring out their, their, um, what we think is their last, their last uh, shot here. They, um, uh, they, they bring out the, the Goreth, the actual Goreth. And out comes Monster X, who is an original monster, who um, is, he's, he's like a humanoid monster with uh, skulls and like bony uh, protrusions all over his body. He is very fast and again, fights. You know what he reminds me of? You've watched the Netflix uh, Ultraman anime, right? Yes. Bemular reminds me of Monster X. The way that yeah. Bemular is kind of like really, you know, he he's almost that kind of aloof um, not not quite Bishonen, but sorta Bishonen style. Like his poses are very delicate, you know. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who's got so much power that he has to be dainty. Bemular always kind of reminded me, Bemular from the anime of Monster X. So that maybe that's a reference to kind of explain what I'm trying to. I'm, I'm failing to explain here. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, and then uh, they. They also bring out their uh, is it is it now where they bring out their other secret weapon or yes. was it a little bit later on? Yeah, well, well, Monster X beats up on Godzilla for a while, mm-hmm. and the two of them are kind of tearing it up. And this now the fights are now now you've gotten okay. This guy's a Kaiser, so him just like Godzilla, he's he's super powerful. So now the fights are a little bit more even. Mm-hmm. So they fight for a while, and then like you said, they they bring out their ace in the hole, the uh, the one that's going to tip the tide in their favor, and they bring out the upgraded. Mark 2.0 of Gigan. And a Gigan has apparently been watching the Evil Dead. Yeah. <laughs> His quadruple chainsaw arms. Yeah. Yes. It's it's glorious. And uh, so we can't have an unfair fight. Uh, that's not allowed, uh, despite the last couple of Showa movies being completely unfair fights. Y- you knew, you knew that there was no way they were going to do this movie, this final blowout movie, and not have Mothra show up in the final reel to lend a hand uh, for the forces of good. Yeah, and she uh, she definitely shows up in style and continues to uh, uh, prove her her credentials as a uh, as like a top tier monster uh, throughout the because she and Gigan pair off 
uh, or Mecha Gigan or whatever. I don't know what his official name is, but the upgrade. They Gigan. just call him guy. I think it's Gigan version two. I think or something like that. And he doesn't have a, you know, like if you um, you get a an official release. Let me look at it. Let me see if he has one on the back here, because I've got the, uh, you know, like I've got my UMD case here. And if you get any official Godzilla merchandise, any monsters that appear, they've got their little badges mm-hmm. that appear on it. And he is only listed as Gigan. He does not have a second name on here. So he must just be Gigan. <laughs> we'll go with that then. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Gigan, well, he he's, you know, it's, it's funny because at first it seems like they did upgrade him a bit. He actually slices off part of Mothra's wing. Which is like, ouch. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. Well, it, it looks like it knocks her out of the fight. It, it, the movie makes you think it's knocked her out of the fight for a while, too. Because once he does that, she crashes and is off screen for a couple minutes. Yeah. Uh, but then, uh, again, Gigan, apparently they didn't upgrade his software. I feel like uh, Justin Hammer from uh, Iron Man 2. First, I'm going to upgrade your software. You know, <laughs> hammer tech, huh? Yeah. yeah. But uh, because he fires out, he uh, Gigan, of course, can fly. So he is chasing after Mothra and he fires out two. like um, they look, they look, they look like they look like Ultraman Zero Zero Cutters. They're just the spinning blades. Right. Mm-hmm. And they they spin around and they come back for Mothra and they completely miss. And he cuts off his own damn head this time. Yeah, my my notes say uh, Gigan, world's dumbest monster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not not only does he lose his head in the beginning of the movie, but then he removes his own in the in the in the back half. Yeah, and and unfortunately, the controller is too busy fighting for his life against Ozaki. But you know, he's probably going to be pissed off about that if he found out about it. You know. <laughs> Like, so oh, we give him those chainsaw arms and uh, <laughs> wasn't worth the effort. <laughs> no, no. And uh, so the um, uh, so the the guy gets out of the fight. Um, Mothra is uh, is is hurt and uh, Monster X is uh, is is losing too. And so with um, with the uh, the humans managing to escape from the Zillion ship. And get back to the Gatenko. The the Zillion mothership is going to explode, and it seems like we're going to be getting rid of this threat. But then Monster X changes form into Monster X two, better known as Kaiser Ghidorah. Uh, and uh, they, they they did give you a, f- a few clues with uh, you know, the Monster X has a you know he has his central head, and then he's got uh, what look like sort of two half heads off to the side with one eye each. So there there were some visual clues, but the first time I saw the movie, when uh, when his foot transforms and turns into like the golden uh, like Ghidorah foot, that that yeah. was just uh, 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 that was a complete surprise to me. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's funny again talking about those monster badges. If you take a look at it, Monster X is Monster X. And then the Kaiser Ghidorah, his badge actually says Monster X 2. So Toho did their best to try and make Kaiser Ghidorah a surprise. Uh, I I mean, it was still leaked before, so they knew that, again, much like you knew Mothra had to be in this, there was no way they were going to make a blow-off Godzilla movie, a 50th anniversary, and not have King Ghidorah be involved Mm. in it, right? Um, I think it's interesting that, first off, if you look at Kaiser Ghidorah, all three of his heads are different designs. They have different arrangements to their horns and different number of horns. So they're paying homage to the various versions of King Ghidorah that came before him. Also interesting is that because he walks on all fours, 
instead of being a, a biped, he's a quadruped. He actually reminds me of, you seen the, the Heisei Mothra films? I've seen the first one. Yeah, well, remember Des Ghidorah? The, 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 the big black version of, of Ghidorah that's four-legged? He reminds me a lot of Des Ghidorah huh. from, from Rebirth of Mothra. I don't know, again, I don't know if that's intentional, but it's just an interesting choice. It's almost, again, as if they're really homaging all the different versions of King Ghidorah, so they gave him four legs like Des Ghidorah. I like the I like the four legs because again it's it's a different look you know you get a lot of quadrupeds you get the flyers or sorry a lot of bipeds and, and a lot of the flyers but you you don't get a lot of quadrupeds that are also upright yes uh, you know you get you get some that are the low to the ground like a, like a monitor lizard type but it's it's pretty rare to get like a sort of centaur yeah uh, monster. Right. I mean I I really like Kaiser Ghidorah's design unfortunately the the I don't think the suit. I think the suit shows that they were stretched on budget to get all these monsters into the movie. And the, the main thing I don't like is he looks muddy, like his coloring. And mm-hmm. part of that is because now we, we haven't talked about this, but this film is very interestingly lit. There's a lot of like deep blue filters and deep red filters put over certain scenes. And this, this final battle takes place at night and it's very dark. And he has a lot of black mixed in with his gold. When I think of King Ghidorah, I think of the, you know, the, the shining gold dragon. I think that Kaiser Ghidorah would have been improved if he really was had those golden scales like we're used to seeing. I think he would have been a little bit cleaner looking rather than, like I said, the muddy is kind of the best description of his color that I have. It was a bit muddled. I do wonder if they were going for a visual connection to Monster X since he was very monochrome. Yes. Uh, if maybe they were they were going for like, oh, you know, this is... This is a different version of Ghidorah that came from Monster X, so he's got this sort of uh, duller palette. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that too. Um, but uh, that his look notwithstanding, uh, Kaiser Ghidorah uh, lays the smackdown on Godzilla, uses his gravity beams as gravity beams, picking him up and slamming him down uh, over and over. Um, called back a bit to Zone Fighter when King Ghidorah was on that show and did the same thing. Um, and uh, so... It is, um, it's up to Mothra to, you know, uh, Operation Flaming Moth and comes and uh, has to uh, flame out and then give Godzilla a boost, a revival in the final fight here against uh, Kaiser Ghidorah. Well, and there was also a scene where um, uh, Ozaki goes Super Saiyan again. And, yes. uh, and he, he beams his energy through the Gotengo. And it pops out these little like satellite ships that fly around it and form this like ring of energy that shoots out. So I guess they designed it with that in mind. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, that that is that is part of the the story of this film is that it is, you know, that the Earth needs to be defended by both humans and monsters, apparently. Right. That <laughs> it, it is a very a very Japanese idea of coexistence and the aligning of the roots and all that. So I'm down with that. But yeah, it's like, did they know that they had this? I mean, somebody must have, or, and if not, what else was that designed for? Yeah. Cause they never use it for anything else. It's not like they, they, they pop it out during the scenes where they're, they're firing off all their like point defense weapons or anything. It's, it's yeah. only used for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got a, uh, I don't know if you, uh, recently, uh, we did an episode on the movie, the war in space, which mm-hmm. has the gotten, which is a, a similar kind of flying battleship to the Gotenko. And there they have the, they launch the fighters with, it's like the, it's like the barrel of a revolver, like a revolver <laughs> pistol. They, that's what they use to launch the fighters. So it, it kind of reminded me of the gotten a little bit, but with, uh, I guess a little bit, again, another anime style thing. It's like, Oh, it's the wave motion gun. I mean, no, that's not it. We're not calling it that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and again, now, now that you've brought to my attention all the anime tropes in it, yeah, that is definitely a because uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was a uh, just like a big like sheet of energy that fired out of it. So definitely wave motion gun e. <laughs> yep. So uh, finally, uh, Godzilla takes out Kaiser Ghidorah, and all of the enemy monsters are defeated, and he is he has had enough, and he finally is going to turn his attention on to the Gatenko and all of our heroes when who should come up and block his path and implore him for mercy, but Manila who stands in front of the humans and puts his arms to the side as if to say, well, if you're going to kill them, you're going to have to go through me to do it first. And it's mirrors, of course, the, the stance taken by the little boy standing in front of his grandfather when he wanted to shoot uh, Manila when they were back at Mount Fuji. Uh, I think at this point we are at, at this point, we're about two hours into this movie and I've accepted everything else. So I have to accept this. And <laughs> it is just, it's just so corny that it's just on the right side of being, you know, cause you can be cheesy and then go too far with it. This is just on the right side of it, that it brings a smile to my face, even though it's patently absurd. <laughs> it is and there was a, there was a, a brief scene before Manila gets in between them where all the human characters are you know outside of the wreckage of the Gotengo and uh, Don Fry has his katana and uh is getting ready to charge Godzilla with it. Yeah. Uh, be- because you know that mustache just lends him uh, all the all the strength that he will need to defeat this giant monster with his sword. You got to give him points for having Moxie, right? So Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, but uh, Godzilla says, "You know what? You're right. I'll listen to you, uh, Manila." And they, uh, they, and so all the survivors watch. The day has been saved. Sure, most of the Earth is destroyed, but uh, you know we. Uh, all, and and by the way, our Earth Defense Force. Oh, they all turned out to be evil aliens, and most of them are dead now too. So, uh, but other than that, everybody's happy. Um, you know, Ozaki is with Mayuki, and uh, Gordon is with Anna. And the secretary general is back and the commander is back and the Godzilla and Manila head out into the sea and in good classic Showa movie finale fashion. And, uh, and that, that's the end. So this is, like I said, there, there is, it's two hours and five minutes. There is a hell of a lot of story in this movie. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I think we, 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 even in our summary, uh, skipped a couple of things, but just, just because again, there's just so much going on, you know, we're, we're moving between the humans and the monsters and the aliens and Manila and the grandfather and the little boy. Um, it's just, it's incredible how much they managed to pack into even, you know, a longer movie like this. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the thing for me. I, I mean, you know, I, the, I I go through periods up and down with this movie because there are parts of it that I genuinely really like. And then there are choices that from a either a technical standpoint or a creative standpoint that I just don't think have held up. Uh, the lighting, as I said, is one of them. The way just the, the general cinematography and, and use of lighting in this film is to me is, is annoying after a while. It's not helped by the fact that uh, I have no, I have not seen this on Blu-ray. On DVD, the DVD for whatever reason, the presentation of the Sony uh, DVD here in the states is very kind of soft on a uh, uh, on a texturized level on a, uh, the crispness. So it doesn't help. Everything looks a little kind of soft and and uh, you know washy at the edges. So then you add the color filter on top of it, and it and it and it gets washed out, where we lose a lot of detail and it just doesn't doesn't present itself very well. Uh, um, 
you know, and and the the story is the story is fun because the story is a direct throwback to, like I said, Monster Zero and destroy all monsters. But then you know we um, and and it doesn't develop itself. It, it's there to be a monster mash, and it's fun. And the idea of Godzilla just wiping out some of these monsters in without even breaking a sweat is great. But it's like yeah, but you know, it's like I you know, people say, well, that's not a Showa. Uh, callback and it's like well the question is is that what Kit- what Kitamura was doing was this a Showa homage or was this a Showa throwback I mean I, I think it could go either way I, 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 and a lot of the the Showa movies you know you didn't have a ton of monsters so obviously the fights were going to last a lot longer between uh the heavy hitters and, and in this I mean even with two hours you are limited by the the amount of time you can spend on each one of them so you know I, I, I don't really know where I come down on that either yeah I mean, as I said, it, it to me, it's I I I I think I in in broad strokes, I get what Kitamura was going for. It's kind of a, you know, it's it's a love letter. Just it's it's almost like a love letter to being a little kid watching a Godzilla movie. You know, it's it's just nonstop action. Even when there's talking, the talking bits usually don't last that long before there's another human or monster scene, uh, human or like you know action scene or or monster scene, and. You know, I said there's a ton of monsters in there, so you get to you know, get all these these great gut monsters, even if they don't all appear for a very long time. Uh, as I said, it, it's very anime-like in kind of the presentation of the story and, and the way that's shot. So I think this was, you know, designed for, you know, the young and the young at heart. Really, you know, this was the Millennium films for the most part had gotten very serious and you know very much, you know, to to not to put a fine point to it, up their own rear end a little bit on some of this stuff. And this one was not. This one doesn't take itself seriously, and it's it's trying to be fun and crazy. I think it probably could have used another round at the editing table, but then it's a question, like you say, well, what do you cut? There's there's so much story here, and you're already running where you're just trying to shove stuff in. What can you cut? You know, it, it becomes a pacing issue at that point as well. Yeah, and and I I think that you're 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 on the right track with the. Uh appealing to what people remember of Godzilla movies rather than the actual movies themselves in some cases. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the, the, the over the top, the, you got, you got, you mix your silliness with the, uh, with the, you know, the, the wanton destruction uh, <laughs> and the just sort of, sort of jokiness that, that, that comes with a lot of what people think of when they think of Godzilla movies rather than maybe the movies themselves. Yeah. Um, which as someone who, uh, again, I, I, I don't have the the depth of knowledge that you do when it comes to Godzilla movies. I, I was just having a lot of fun when I was watching it. You yeah. Know? And that that's what I appreciated about it was just the, and, and again, I found some of the, you know, the, the matrixy fight moves a little bit annoying. And uh, of course uh, there was just so much black, like black vinyl costuming all over the place. That was very matrixy. Um, yeah. Overall, I was just, you know, I, I just had a blast all the way through. Yeah, and that that was kind of the approach I, I tried to take with this. As I said, I've, I went through a phase of really disliking this movie, and just just really kind of I don't know. I mean, looking down my nose at it a little bit. So one of the things I try to do with uh, with Earth Destruction Directive is on films where I may not have the best opinion of them is try to go in with an open mind and really. <laughs> As part of part of my research, you know, try and th- this one, there's, there's I mean, there, there is some stuff and Kitamura actually is fluent in English. So you can find interviews with him where he is um, where he, he doesn't need a translator or anything, which is very interesting. Uh, pretty rare for the Godzilla series. 
Well, I try to go in and, and, and take them, you know, on their own merits and understand what the motivation was and, and the context and all that. And so watching it this time, I did like it more than some previous viewings. Like I said, it's not my favorite of the Millennium films, but I, I, I like I said, I'm, I'm coming around on what I believe Kitamura's motivation was. And so that helped a lot, I think, with this viewing. Just taking it as as a romp helps a lot, which most of the other Millennium films don't work on that level. Most of the other Millennium films are trying to be, I tell a serious story. Uh, really, Godzilla 2000 is pretty much the only one that's not trying to do that. Um, so so that, that, that helped a lot with this. Just the amount of Easter eggs and references and all that I, I really thought was great. My, one of my favorites is still always the use of Gorif uh, as, as the, the planet because that is, a, again, a classic Toho science fiction film that just not a lot of people have seen because it's it's hard to find, you know, it's never been released on DVD. Uh, if you want in English, you got to find a VHS copy or a bootleg somewhere. Um, you know, the, the return of Manila, the return of the lesser monsters like Kamakuras and Kuamanga and Ibra was was great. So that said, there, there's a lot to like here, even though it does have it does have some 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 things where they're legitimate gripes, and I can see why certain fans, uh, you know, don't like this one as much as some of the other Millennium films. Uh, but yeah, as a general rule, I, I, I enjoyed watching it. Ultimately that that's all I really need. Uh, you know, not, I don't think it's going to, it's going to post before this, but, um, recently my brother and I, we were guests on, uh, Paul Spataro's is a Jaws podcast where we were talking about Godzilla King of the Monsters 2019. And I said at the time that, you know, um, I, I don't know if, if just for the listeners who may not be familiar with it, that film uses a Jaws scale where we rate films on from Jaws, which is an all-time classic, to Jaws 2, which is like not an all-time classic, but a really good film, Jaws 3, which is an okay film, and Jaws 4, which is a bad film. And I had said on that show that I consider most Godzilla films to be Jaws 2. And, you know, there's only some that get above it and only some that get below it. This is clearly a Jaws 2. It's an enjoyable film. It's not perfect. It does have some flaws, some things that, you know, that I don't think have held up well. But again, watching it this time, watching it on my PSP of all places, I had fun. So I can't really ask for anything more than that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and again, you know that 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 is what I look for in a in a Godzilla movie. I, and I know that the original uh, you know, was intended as an allegory for for nuclear war and and and, and all this stuff. And and I, I respect that. I have the Criterion Collection uh, copy of uh, of Gojira, and it's it's amazing. Yeah. But uh, I also appreciate just a. Uh, you know, uh, fun time watching flying submarines with drills on the front uh, fight, you know, giant uh, volcano snakes. And uh, that's, you know, that, that, that's good enough for me uh, on, a, on a, an average day. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, um, Adam, I want to thank you for coming on and, and talking about Final Wars. I'm so glad we finally got an opportunity. We, we have such discussions about tokusatsu. And Daikaiju and Super Sentai and, and uh, Kyodai Heroes and all that offline. I'm so glad we finally got to do this online. Yeah, uh, and so now uh, now everyone uh, out there on the internet can be uh, bored to tears by our discussion of, uh, of things that most people don't understand. Although, uh, I, c- considering that this podcast is uh, is based around that and your listeners are presumably prepared for this, <laughs> I think we'll be in better shape than maybe a room full of people who, uh, who do not understand anything that we're talking about. Yeah, about the, I will say, the, the, the only thing that would make this better is we each could have had a bowl of pho from Nudaville, which is, you know... <laughs> 
<laughs> like those those again if, if any 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 upstate listeners i uh you know if it, faux nudaville over in uh, uptown greenville they are they are freaking fantastic so uh if you want some vietnamese food that's where you got to go but uh oh so you know, that, well, th- this was a lot of fun man do you have uh I, I know that um, you know you you do have something of an online presence, but is there anything in particular you want to want to hype or, or put out there for the listeners? Uh, I, I am between podcasts at the moment. Uh, for <laughs> for a while, I had a uh, I hosted a uh, co-hosted or a, a comics podcast called uh, Days of Future Cast, where we is sort of a general co- comics discussion podcast that. Oddly enough, more often than not, it centered around Valiant and just the the, the craziness that was going on with that at the time. Um, but uh, you know, at the moment, I, I, I'm not on anything uh, regularly. Uh, you know, I'm a, I am uh, on Facebook and uh, and Twitter and all that stuff. But uh, um, uh, other than that, you know, I'm just uh, I'm just sort of a, an ephemeral presence around the edges of a lot of the, the podcasts that are out these days. Well, well, we appreciate your ephemeral presence, nonetheless. So, uh, you've been a, a loyal listener of the show and a great supporter of the show from the beginning. So, I always appreciate that. And uh, listeners have heard your feedback before, and I'm sure we'll hear your feedback again. So, uh, <laughs> al- always appreciated on that front. So, um, everyone, uh, I want to throw it out to you, the listener. What do you think of Godzilla Final Wars? Do you love this movie? Can you not stand this movie? Are you ambivalent towards this movie? Please send us an email, Directive at yahoo.com. We will read your email here on the show and respond to it. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for me. That's Luke EDD. And uh, also you can head over to the Two True Freaks podcast group or the Two True Freaks Cantina in order to find us there. Uh, you, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at El Giacone, always uh, talking about giant monsters using the hashtag earth destruction directive and uh i don't know what we're going to be doing the next time i think that'll be a little bit of a surprise i do know that i will be getting back into covering the uh uh the appearances of red ronin in the pages of avengers uh, i think we're uh getting ready to get the blow off of that story which uh you know i will say uh they uh, as we're recording this, Adam, you know they uh, we're, we're they just did the re-release of Avengers Endgame with the additional footage, and uh, I read some spoilers, and yeah, Red Ronin's not in it, so I don't know yeah. that I'm going to spend the money. I really don't. <laughs> well, that is disappointing, um, and I hope I hope at some point you cover. There was a, an an arc of Exiles where Red Ronin played played a, played a prominent role. Oh yes, I've I've heard about that. Yeah. Oh yeah, good old Red Ronin, and it's it's amazing that um, you know you know the the question I get most often with Red Ronin was when I was covering the Shogun Warriors, I'd have people say, was it Red Ronin one of them? It's like, no, you'd think so, but no. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's in the same uh, milieu, but not, uh, yeah. not, not, not in that book now. Not so much. Um, yeah. Well, I've got, I've got some interesting stuff coming up with Red Ronin. He appears in a issue of solo Avengers with the, the wasp. He appears in an, uh, a Wolverine annual, um, and D- Dr. Demonicus pops up in all sorts of Avengers comics and stuff too. I've got, uh, we'll, we'll see all that coming up down the line, but, um, but other than that, I want to thank everyone for downloading, listening to the show as always, uh, your support is greatly appreciated. And I love and appreciate every single one, uh, of you guys out there. And I also want to take this opportunity to remind everyone once again, that this show is for everyone all are welcome at Earth Destruction Directive. If you want to be part of the show, you are welcome to be part of the show to interact with me, to reach out to feedback, and and what have you. So uh, just please always keep that in mind. Uh, Adam, any final thoughts on Final Wars? <laughs> um, I would encourage anybody who has who has 
you know, maybe in the Godzilla community who has negative feelings about the movie to maybe just, you know, after after all this time, uh, give it another watch. Um, maybe relax and just try to enjoy it for what it is. Uh, and uh, and just see if you have a different experience than uh, maybe watching as a super fan who uh, who disagrees with the choices that were made or, or you know wants to analyze it uh, on a more uh, you know micro level and just uh, just see if you have any more fun uh, looking at it that way. So in other words, we should just breathe and just relax. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's just a show. Yeah, <laughs> you should really just relax. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So very good advice, uh, Adam. Thank you. Uh, again, thank you very much for coming on. It's been great. We'll have to we'll have to find another topic to to talk about that we can uh, we can do this again. And um, everyone, again, thank you for downloading and listening. Please come back the next time. And until then, keep them stomping. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Dai Kaiju podcast, produced and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, available at twotruefreaks.com. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you'd like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I'll read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find the show on iTunes. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave an iTunes review if you want. You can get in touch with the show on Facebook. Just search for Earth Destruction as the first name and Directive as the last name. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter with the handle LJacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. And if you want to buy something discussed on the show, head on over to twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com link on the front page. Any items you buy during your session on Amazon.com will help keep the lights on, and it won't cost you anything extra. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun on Earth Destruction Directive. Tune in next time to hear the crusty old podcaster from Oklahoma say, There's a WTF <laughs> moment if I ever saw one. Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible.